everyone. Welcome to another edition of Just Fish Outdoors. I'm your host, Dale York, and on this week's show, we have a very, very special guest. His name is Barry Morrow, and he's a professional crappie guide and also a, a professional crappie angler. So, Barry, I'll ask you to come on in here, introduce yourself, and uh, let's talk about this fall transition that seems to spook some of these people on finding and catching crappie. Gary, or Dale, I appreciate you inviting me back in. It's been a long time, and most people know from your area that uh, Oklahoma and Lake Eufaula was very good to me, and I enjoyed fishing there. Recently, in the, over the past six, seven, eight years, I have relocated. I'm on Truman Lake in Missouri, uh, kind of centrally located, and that's where I'm located in, and primarily are guiding at this time. But I tell you what, it excites me to see the fall transition begin. Uh, everybody knows summertime fishing is, it can be very warm and hot and a lot of deep water structure fishing is really taking place. And I'm a shallow water fisherman at, at heart. And uh, when the leaves start, start to turn or the water starts changing, uh, you have change over and turn over on the water. That means it won't be long in the fall transition to take place. And, and that's what uh, we're getting ready to talk about here. Yeah, you know, as the weather becomes crisp and uh, the days become shorter, many many crappie anglers decide to call it quits, and and uh, you know that's just not a good thing to do, in my humble opinion. And you know, you're the expert here, uh, but uh, the fall fishing once that, like you said, the leaves turn and that water starts to cool, it can be some of the most exciting fishing of the year. I have, that's exactly right, and. Uh try to make it make things a little simpler uh, in the process here i like to look at the fall fishing similar to the spring spawn season and the and the transition that takes place there uh is it's just the opposite and basically doing the same thing in the fall and what, what i'm talking about there is a lot of summertime fishing is deep water structure fishing uh and i and when i say deep water People need to, to understand that if you have the central lake, the main lake fishing habitat, you may be talking 25, 30 foot of water or more. And then other people, such as myself, we like to talk about deep water fishing, uh, 16, 18 foot of water, maybe 20 at the deepest, shallower. So, you know, in one place we're talking 30 foot of water, and in the other place we're talking 18 to 20. But when you're summertime fishing, you're doing a lot of that kind of fishing, deeper structure still 12 14 foot down or 16 the most uh so now we're going into the fall transition and these fish are going to be coming out of that type of water moving closer to the coves the mouths of the coves the flats just outside the coves and uh that's kind of the water temperature here is around 70 degrees 72 degrees in that range and that's dropping from 80 to 85 so with that happening, we're starting to see the transition taking place, that these fish are still on some structure. Uh, you can still find some schools, but a lot of them are singling out uh, three or four or five fish per tree to 10 maybe. But they're going to start moving, and that's uh, what's going to take place. The cooler the nights get, the water's going to change, the temperature's obviously going to change, and those fish are going to start moving. The whole key is following the bait fish, and, and these fish will start uh, moving the bait fish will start moving into the points the secondary points and back into coves these fish will eventually move back into there but 
right now I'm, I'm on uh, flats. I'm on flats that are anywhere from 10 to, uh, to 18, 20 foot of water. And that's depending on what part of the lake I'm fishing. But they're, they're staging outside on those flats, and that's where I'm finding most of my fish. Yeah, it's really a lot of things are starting to happen here with that cooling water. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but uh, you know when when the hot summertime is and and that water temperature is really high in in the 80s, uh, then things tend to spread themselves out a little more. You you find one here and there it seems like, but as that water starts to cool and get down in the 70s and even more, uh, they start to get in tighter clustered schools. Uh, yeah, and and yep. you know that that's the one thing that's not going to change, regardless whether it's spring, summer, or fall. These fish are going to be around some kind of structure. Correct, correct. Uh, you know, I think one point I want to say, and it, it happened to me just last week. These fish, when it starts to transition like this, you may find them in that twelve to eighteen, twenty foot of water range, but then you. If you're not finding them there, I had to move into five, six, seven foot of water, uh, probably six to eight foot of water. I, I caught fish and found them, and they were still stacked uh, on some timber, uh, definitely on structure, whether it be stumps or that, uh, or trees or structure that's been added to the lake, whatever. Uh, they were in that shallower water where they just a couple of days prior, they had been out in that deeper water. So don't forget that shallow bite and then if you get it hit it good for two or three days they may end up going right back out into that 14 15 or 20 foot of water again but fish are on the move and depending on the nighttime temperatures and what the weather's like you get a cold a cool front come through where we have a quite a bit of rain or and when we haven't had any rain and then that happens it, it does change where the fish are so be flexible in where you're going fishing and don't be afraid to move around yeah, I, I think that's one of the key factors here, Barry, is, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, is you have to be flexible because one day the, the bite might be fairly shallow and the next day the bite might be fairly deep. Uh, it, it just really a lot depends on wind direction, uh, you know, the time of day, whether it's sunny, cloudy, whether the lake's rising, where the lake's falling. Uh, there's just a lot of things you need to keep in the back of your mind and don't get uh, pinned in on one specific pattern because that pattern may change a couple of times in the day. Correct. Exactly. Uh, and, and the other couple of other points I want to try to give out is, is a lot of the timber that I'm finding most of my fish on is really not the standing timber that I'm seeing. It's underwater blowdowns that have laid over and haven't been touched by any other fishermen you know uh, that's the key point is looking for structure i'm still going back to old school where you you use your sonar to find underwater structure and uh the, one of the best places last week was just simply to drop off from six to eight foot of water into that 15 16 foot of water and down probably five feet off the bottom was one or two limbs that had blown over from another tree and it just held, I bet there was 50 fish in there. Wow. And uh, so those are the kind of places that you need to find and, and just kind of look around. But uh, it just changes with the, the daily temperatures and, and uh, 
you know, moving around looking for that those fish in different depths of water. Yeah, and and you know, we really, really want to emphasize here, folks, to uh, pay attention to uh, what your lake that you're going to be fishing, what it's doing. If it's a a, a water release type lake, a hydro dam type situation where they're running water at certain times of the day and not running water at other times of the day, uh, you may find these fish really, really active when they're running water, and then you may find them very negative when they're not running water. So uh, you know, yeah, keep yeah. that in mind as well, and that can also reorient these fish as to where they're feeding or their feeding patterns when they turn loose that water. You know, they'll they'll move, they'll do something, and uh, as Barry highlighted earlier, you know, these fish are not going to be very far from the buffet line. <laughs> they're they're, they're going to go wherever them shad go because they're really starting to click that internal clock that's telling them to feed up for that fall or that cold water situation. So they're going to try to put on as much body mass as they possibly can. And, uh, you know, this really can be one of the best times of year to catch a lot of fish in a short amount of time. You agree with that, Barry? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, springtime you you can get out and catch a, a boatload in two to three hours and the same thing can happen here in the fall uh and that's just because these fish are i love the fall because i'm a at heart i'm a jig fisherman it really kills me to have to think about dipping a minnow <laughs> and, uh, I'm <laughs> you, buddy. <laughs> and uh the one of the best bites for jig fishing is is late September, more so into October, mid-October. Uh, the whole month of October can be excellent with a jig bite. And uh, and I love it because they just hammer a jig. It's just, uh, you know, a minnow bite, they'll suck it in and kind of mouth it. They may swim off with it, and they may not. But a jig bite, they pound it for some reason. And that's, there's nothing that feels any more excitement than to have that on the end of your pole. Yeah, it, it's more like an assault than it is a bite. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah it's exactly right. They really get after it. And, uh, you know, folks, this is another thing we'll, we'll talk about a little bit is in the fall, typically, you know, you hear fishermen all the time talk about matching the hatch, matching the hatch. And uh, one of the things that the fall primarily has that the spring, in some cases the summer doesn't have, is it usually has a larger uh, size of bait fish in the lake with whatever species that you're trying to track and know and and crop you the same way so uh barry what size baits are you primarily targeting on these fish in the fall well i'm i'm using a, a definitely an inch and a half to a two inch bait uh and then sometimes i'll go to a three inch bait uh but most of my fish are coming off of a two inch uh, beaver bottom bait it's a flat tail bait the rib body uh, excellent bait just has a lot of benefits that a lot of other baits don't have and then I also uh, go to my my small bait which is an inch and a half beaver bottom or the baby shad from Bobby Garland and uh, the Bobby Garland has all the way up to a three inch slap slayers which is just an excellent bait when they're just really active and they they just soon munch on a great big bait than a, than a little one if it's out there when they're feeding like in the fall so those are the two sizes of baits I use. A lot of times, the only time I transition different than that is on a on a major front that goes through or the real cold winter bite. 
uh, where they're they're not active and the water's really cold, then I'll downsize to, to as little as I can go and get away with it. Right. A lot of times I'll have to put a weight above it to get my bait down there, yeah. but it may be a 32nd or 64th, uh, something that I've come up with. But uh, right now they are feeding and fattening up for that winter time, and they're just, just now starting this. And it's just going to get better from here, clear through October, November. Yeah, this, this time of year, and like you related to, even a, a month from now, in our neck of the woods, which is you know northern Oklahoma, southern western Missouri, wherever, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you'll you'll see uh, these fish will actually chase your bait. Uh, you don't have to put it right in front of them for them to bite it. They'll actually come a distance to eat that bait. And this is one of the few times a year that uh, they'll actually do that. Uh, they're very aggressive once that water temperature gets down in the you know the 70s, high 60s. They become very aggressive, and uh, to my, to my extent, I, I think they even prefer a larger bait at that time of year. Exactly, and uh, if they're going to exert the, the energy to attack that bait, they want to get a full meal out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's yeah. kind of the way I look at it. They're going to the buffet instead of just a snack. Exactly. Uh, exactly. You know, they will hit it. But, you know, and the, the thing I've learned, and I've kind of always did, but I, when you look at baits, I've always had four or five different colored baits that I really relied on. And in uh, just a few of those, the black and, black and chartreuse and uh, uh, maybe a, a pearl and chartreuse. And uh, then I go to, you know, like a June bug is one of my favorite colors. And then a pumpkin seed bait is a, has always been one of my favorite. Well, I know not everybody has a live scope of any sort, but the one of the benefits I've seen with that type of equipment, if you get a chance to, to be in a boat with somebody or, or you have one, is I've learned that the, the fish will either react to that bait or they won't. And if they're just nipping the bait and they're not taking the whole thing, then probably there's a better choice out there than what you've got on. And uh, when I see a fish come off of a structure three feet to go get your bait, believe me, that's the one you want to keep on. And that's that's how I've learned with LiveScope that some of the things I used to do was correct and maybe talked about, but some of them weren't. And uh, you just, I have learned that a natural insect colored bait can be just about as, as effective year round as you can get and uh, so i mimic that and that's you know any kind of a pumpkin color bait is a start of that uh, and a pearl the natural bait are, are examples of baits that i've started to use a lot more of than i ever did before because i'm seeing the fish for real on how they act and uh when we talk about structure, uh, there's different kinds of structure. I think it's important. One of the places, things I've left out and I don't talk enough about because I don't fish a lake that has them, and that's dock cover. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of lakes that people have that have very little visible structure, and they have to depend on finding underwater structure, which is critical to know how to do. But also, the docks themselves offer that shade. There's either posts that hose the docks that slides up and down that's going to be a, a hiding spot for those fish or those docks that have chairs and rod holders and fish cleaning stations, a metal bucket sitting on their dock. 
those are the kind of docs that I know and I zero in on because I know they've got structure planted on that dock. And uh, you can stay off that dock and stay away from it, cast those corners, and any place you see strings hanging down from the from the side of the dock, that's probably headed to the tree pot stack that's underneath it or some sort of structure. So those are tips, I think, that uh, people who don't have standing timber uh, can you rely on and, and, and lean on, especially when that water gets into the 60s. They'll get up underneath there just like it's when it's up in the high suns and upper 80s. They're underneath there for shade. So uh, just some points I thought that I needed to bring up before I passed them. Yeah, that, that's all extremely good information. You know, one of the things you'll notice if you're shooting docks is if you have a real, real bright high sunshine, those fish will be further back under the dock. You may not be able to reach them. Uh, but if you're in a low light situation where you have a lot of clouds or, or the sun's not yet come up or starting to go down, those fish will actually come out to the corners of those docks where they're much, much easier to reach and uh, to catch. So, uh, right. you know, you might think about that if you're, if you're shooting, having to shoot docks, uh, because that, that's a whole science in itself. And boy, you talk about uh, live scope and active target. Uh, my gosh, we could do a whole show on <laughs> active target and live scope. <laughs> and uh, I, I agree with you 100% uh, that uh, the biggest thing, the biggest lesson that uh, active target has taught me is watching the fish's reaction to the bait. You get that immediate feedback of that fish's reaction to whatever bait you're throwing. Uh, exactly. I mean, I, I've been in situations, and I know you have too, where you find a school of crappie and you throw a bait in there and there's totally negative on it. They don't even look at it. And uh, you may change colors, you may change baits, you may change uh, different kind of baits and fish for that school of crappie maybe 15 or 20 minutes and they're totally negative. They don't even react to your bait being there. So what you do is you leave that waypoint and go find another school of crappie and then maybe come back to that school a couple hours later and just catch the fire out of them. Uh, they, they can be that finicky, but you get that immediate feedback to what those fish's reaction is to whatever lure you're presenting to them. Absolutely. You know, and one of the things I've learned too is, is a bobber underneath or above your, your jig can be very effective. Uh, shooting docks at the beginning, it, those fish may be just two foot under the water surface. And, uh, if you're able to to shoot a little slip cork underneath there uh, with your jig and uh, like the big swimming platforms they have on the dock, that's an excellent place to do that. And you'll probably catch three or four fish using that. And then, and then if you're able to take that cork off after you've caught three or four and it slows down, those fish are basically dropped down to four, five, six foot of water. So then you just take that bobber off and then you're able to, to shoot back in there and let that jig float down a little bit before you start your retrieve, then you'll start picking up fish that have moved from shallow depth to a little bit deeper depth. Yeah, that's one thing we really, uh, in my humble opinion, this is one of the bullet points we really need to stress here, is those fish, regardless, are in constant transition. They're moving. They're doing right. something. They're, you know, you may kill them in eight or ten foot of water in the morning till maybe ten o'clock, 
and then all of a sudden you can't get a bite. Well, it's not that the fish went negative, it's the fish moved. They have totally moved somewhere. Uh, and, uh, you know, you may have to go hunt them down again, or maybe the bait fish moved. Maybe they start running water. Maybe they shut off water on your particular lake or reservoir. But there was a condition change somewhere that moved those fish. So now you got to go mm-hmm. on the hunt again and try to find where those fish went. Exactly. And, you know, back in the days, I'd fish a lot of, and you follow, we, I would run two jigs, and one would just be, I'd bounce it to the bottom, and then I'd come up maybe four or five inches or six inches and have another jig 14, 12, 14 inches above that. So I'm really covering two depths of water. But I have learned uh, in the last few years that are in, in my kind of water, which is shallow water, those fish may not show up on my screen at all. And those fish are on the very bottom of that water column. And you might think that's just a rock or a boulder or a little bit of a stump, but those fish a lot of times will hug that bottom, and that's where you got to keep your bait at. Yeah, those those fish can get to that point, and we've both experienced this. That, uh, like you said, their bellies are on the bottom, and and you get that you fish that jig a foot above bottom, you're not going to get bit. Uh, right. You have to put that jig strictly in front of them fish to get that. Uh, fish to bite and uh you know it's it can be that that difficult at times where you actually have to bump that limb that you're fishing in a brush power you actually put that jig within an inch or two of the bottom to get that fish to bite exactly exactly you know one of the key things in this fall transition and and even from the fall to winter is is locating that that depth of water that the fish are holding in. And we just got through talking about them being two or three feet down to six or eight or all the way down to 12 or 14. That's the key. And I think these fish, whether you're on the main lake or if you're up into the creeks or whatever, you've got to identify the depths of those fish and locate them and and then stay in that area. And back in my beginning days of fishing, I used to use a six and a half foot or a six foot rod and I would automatically go out on, on a bluff or on a flat off of a bluff or near a channel, and I would do three pulls as far as I could raise my arm in that water and let that pull the, the line go tight and do it two more times. So basically three pulls, I was putting myself down 16, 18 foot of water. Right. So then I would slowly bring that jig up until I got bit, and then I would hold that, and that's how I would learn to, to continue to repeat that process until the fish would quit biting, then I'd have to change up again. But knowing the depth that those fish are in, whatever that method is, uh, is a key point from now all the way to the wintertime bite. Yeah, I, I don't think, in my humble opinion, and correct me here if, if you think otherwise, but I, I think crappie are one of the most depth-specific fish, game fish, in fresh water that you're going to fish for. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, if you get six, eight inches, sometimes a foot off of that mean depth, wherever those fish are located, uh, bring that jig that far ahead of them or even below them. Uh, you're just not going to get the percentage of bites you're going to get when you maintain that two or three inches of the water depth that those fish are fishing in, that those mm-hmm. fish are located in. You know, it, it, it can really, really be that, that interesting to to try to to locate those fish and catch them 
sometimes you get, you have to get that specific in order to to get a bite. Yes. Yeah. Here's a here's an experience I'll share with everybody that took place yesterday on the water with me, and I think it's relevant to what we're talking about here. Uh, I went to a new area to fish yesterday. I was having my trailer worked on, and I, so I took my boat and dropped it off and came back and got in it. Went fishing, and I had a long pole. It was basically eleven and a half foot uh, uh, pole that uh, Ken Huckabee puts out, or, or Todd Huckabee's rod, one of his that Ken Robinson makes. But uh, I was in an area that's close to the dam, and it was a clear lake, you know, clear part of the, of the lake's water was. And I was fishing along using that long pole, and, and I finally picked up some fish I saw in 14, 15 foot deep at the bottom of the, of the water column. And I, was, I hadn't caught a crappie all morning. I pulled up to this gentleman that I just, he was coming toward me, and I was going toward him, and he was tying up. So uh, I just pulled up there with him and started talking, and neither one of us had caught a crappie. And I had seen those crappies sitting there. So I picked those fish up and uh, right there beside him, and then I invited him to get in my boat because he, he didn't have the equipment that I had for sonar. And we started fishing, and he had a, a six-foot rod with a minnow on a crappie hook uh, and a split shot above it. And it wasn't long that he was – I'd find the fish in, in a big school, and – he was catching two to my one. Well, he had a split shot and a hook and a minnow. Uh-huh. I was using a jig on the 11 and a half foot rod. Mm-hmm. So when he started doing that, I changed up and I went to a six foot casting rod, an ultralight with a, with a 16 ounce jig on it. And I could throw past that bait and bring it to me. Right. And I got bit every cast. Yeah. Yeah. So the point I'm making here is, I was dead sick in a jig, caught to a tree, and then it slowed down. And he was having a motion movement of that minnow, and he was catching more fish than I was. Yeah, yeah. So he had an active bite going. And when I went to casting, then I was getting a reaction bite with those fish versus a jig being still. Yeah. So the presentation of that bait proved to me, and as an example, uh, you you have to be flexible and be able to change up what those fish want. And even though you find them, you might not have the right thing on on the hook of your pole, on the bottom of your pole, right. to catch those fish. Whether a live bait versus a jig, whether the jig is stationary, or right. whether you're creating movement and getting a reaction bite. So that's a point that I think they need to remember, too. Yeah, that presentation sometimes can be the key. That, that one you alluded to is is what some people call the cast and drag technique is uh, when you throw that jig out there and let it fall to a certain depth and start bringing it back. It, it's doing, it's constantly moving. It's kind of doing a pendulum back to the rod tip and the bait is constantly moving. So it it's, can sometimes create that reaction bite as opposed to where you were dead stick and trying to get those fish, trying to put it right in front of their nose and uh, they might have uh, not preferred that particular technique that day or that at that time frame. But uh, exactly. that, that cast and drag technique is just another one of those tools that you need in your tackle box when you go after these fish. Uh, mm-hmm. That's my favorite technique is the cast and drag. Uh, I, go ahead. It's definitely... Uh a favorite of every person I think that grew up fishing as a yeah. youth. 
if I was able to cast and bring one back in, there's nothing more fun than that. Yeah. And, and with the recent uh, lure developments in the past few years, you know, Timmy Tom makes a great weedless head. Uh, my 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 personal best choice is Pro Built. Uh, they make one called a Brushmaster. And uh, with with these new with these new jigs, you know, you can throw a, a, a Bobby Garland or whatever in the thickest, ugliest brush pile you ever seen, and crawl it right out of there. And and sometimes fish the the same jig head all day long. Uh, exactly. These these new or newer developments that we're seeing in the uh, uh, weedless crappie heads nowadays is is just absolutely awesome. Uh, matter of fact, I talked to uh, uh, one of the guys at ProBuilt not too long ago, and uh, you know he was showing me some of the things they were coming out with Mark Cure, and uh, he's making some great strides in 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 these crappie heads. So. Uh, you know, next time you folks listen, the next time you get a chance, go out there and uh, look at Pro Built Jigs and look at the Brushmaster and some of the other things they're developing. And I think you'll find that uh, these are very, very good fish producing lures, high quality. Yeah, if, you, if you're not always changing or trying to improve, you're either staying the same or going backwards. So you yeah. just got to keep, keep your eyes open and, and uh, try to learn something every day. And, and crappie fishing and bass fishing both uh, you're able to do that if you just give that a chance yeah there there's so many uh tips and tricks to the trade you know <laughs> we could probably do a whole nother show just on tips and tricks that w- that we use and and how we utilize it uh you know one of my favorite tips folks is uh you know don't uh, use equipment that's not suited for the job uh, you know, my, my favorite is, is like, uh, Barry was alluding to earlier. I like six pound line most of the time when I'm casting and dragging. If you're vertical fishing, especially if you're fishing heavier heads, you can get away with, uh, uh, you know, eight and 10 pound line on a longer rod. But, uh, my favorite, uh, is about a six, six and a half foot spinner rod, uh, a light spinning reel with, uh, Really, really good uh, six-pound monofilament line. I don't think you need the uh, the braided line. Uh, there's some a lot of pros and cons on that, but uh, you know, uh, I, I don't like to put uh, thirty dollars worth of line on a spinning reel. You know, I <laughs> I, uh, I change my line often, and I, I think uh, in many cases, uh, six-pound monofilament of, of a good quality is is really about all you need. What's your thoughts, Barry? Well, I think, you know, there's pros and cons both ways. I, I currently have mad braided line on all of my rods. They've, they've got a great chartreuse color and they've also come out with a, with a real bright pink. Uh, for those who, who want something brighter than the green. Uh, but I also, when, when I need to, I've got probably four 11 foot ugly rods out there that, uh, have braid on them, but I'll have two of them with a leader on it, and I use a a, a mono or fluorocarbon six pound test leader on it, and and that is basically probably six to eight foot long that I'm using, and that's to take care of that clear water bite that you might need, uh, and also the the fall rate that you have, and also the uh, the lightness of that line compared to something heavier. 
So I've got two lines. All of them may have braid on them, and I may not spool the whole thing with braid, but I do put leaders on them. And uh, that's something that you need to learn is how to tie your leaders to a braided line. And it's relatively simple, and they do hold. But uh, I have both ready to go and, and in action. And so if I can get away with big hooks or big big heavy line or braided line, I'll use it because I'm not going to lose my, my fish as often. But if I have to downsize or use lighter, thinner stuff, I'm prepared to do that. Right. And I think that's what everybody needs to be able to think about. And, uh, you know, those fish are going to tell you what they want, and you need to pay attention because if you're not getting bit, you need to change up. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what specific knot do you like to tie with your leaders on your braid? Uh, well, it's similar to a blood knot. Uh, I'm not sure the name of it. To be honest with you, uh, I overlap them about six or eight inches. I make a loop on one end and pull my fluorocarbon through it, and then the other end, and I'll pull it. But on the on the fluorocarbon, I'll or muscle, I'll loop it about six to eight times. And on the braid, it may not be as many, but uh, that's on the other end. And then I just pull them both together, and it's like a blood knot when it comes down to the end. Uh, and then uh, when I tie my jig head. On, I'm either using a loop knot, or I'll have, uh, uh, or I lost it, but I, I've got another knot that I use for my jig specifically if I'm in heavy brush and stuff. But if I can get away with a loop knot, that's what I'm going to be putting on because the jig will, just has natural movement to it. Right, right. Yeah, it, it has a lot better movement if you use a loop knot on your jig, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, that, that folks, that's uh, that's some great information there. You know, we've talked about location. We've talked about uh, you know you've got to be versatile when you're looking for crappie this time of year. And with the fronts starting to show up a little more frequently now, uh, that just means you got to be even more versatile because you you may start out six, eight, ten feet of water in the morning. And then uh, here we go. Now you're fishing 10 and 15 foot of water. Uh, and th- those fish are just constantly moving. And as the water continues to, to decline in water temperature, uh, those fish will move even more. They're, they're at some point in time, probably, what's your guess, Barry? Maybe in the 50s that those fish will start returning back to their winter hunts. Yes, absolutely. When it gets to low 60s and 50s and then further down, uh, once you know when the water temp- or the weather temperature out there is above freezing, so you're looking in the 40s air temperature. Those fish are definitely going to be in deeper water, and they will be piled up. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm looking at 14 to 18 foot of water depth, depth wise, how far they're going to be down. But they may be in 25, 30 foot or, or deeper water. Yeah, Re- remember, folks, these fish primarily. Uh, are creatures of habit, and they're going to do the same thing every year. Uh, they may not be in the same place every year, but they're going to have the same the same migration habits every year. Right now, those fish are coming out of that deep water. They're starting to, to nose up in these secondary points in the back ends of some of these major creeks. Uh, they're moving that direction because the shad are moving in that direction. And, you know, they're going to follow that buffet line. <laughs> they're not going to be too far from it. And as the water temperature continues to cool, those fish are going to stay in the back ends of those pockets and those coves and those cuts and those 
main feeder rivers for a while creeks and then they're going to start migrating back out of those as the water temperatures continue to fall and then set back up for their primary winter hunts wherever that may be so uh you know keep these these tips that we're providing for you in in uh, in the back of your mind and and uh barry what's uh, what's some of the other major tips that come to mind that we want to throw at the folks here at the end well, I, I think the key thing is uh, when the bite gets tougher, uh, you know, you need to probably downsize uh, is going to be a key when it gets winter time. Uh, I always try to use as big a hook or big as equipment as I can as far as weight of line and stuff that I can get by with. But if if uh, if you own and then I downsize to number six hook or number four hooks or something like that in a six pound test or four pound test in the winter time. Uh, and clearer water per se, but you know you have to be able to change up what you've got. And and the reason they make all these colors of baits isn't because they want just to do that. It's because certain times you need it. And I mean, I am a believer that color makes a difference when they're feeding and active. Color may not make a difference at all because they're going to attack anything that's in front of them. Kind of like guarding the nest in the springtime. But there's days specific colors make a difference and. And you want to be attuned to how aggressive that bite is and change up if you need to, if you're not. So I think those are, are two critical things. And, and the last thing I'll, I'll say to people is if you've got favorite fishing spots and you go there and you've got maybe four hours to fish, you want to spend probably three hours fishing where you know, but spend that last hour hunting new areas and learn new water so that if you find something new, man, it just, turns on a light bulb and you've got another place to go your next trip so each outing keep adding to your uh, fishing spots by going to new spots learning new areas so you can go and catch more fish and and i never give up just stay with it change up what you're doing and and you'll find fish yeah yeah it's it's getting ready to be what I consider, folks, the golden time of year. Uh, from now till mid-November, sometimes the end of November, uh, it's my favorite time to be on the water. Uh, there's yes, very, sir. very, very few boats on the water. Uh, I've got a YouTube video out there where I'm on a public boat ramp on a, on a, um, a good reservoir here in northeast Oklahoma, and it's about 3.30, 4 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and I'm, a, I'm the only trailer in the bar- parking lot, folks. <laughs> I'm the only one there. And, uh, yes, sir. I, I love that. I just love that. And, you know, when the leaves start dropping and, the, and they start turning colors, you know, hunting season's around the corner, and uh, and I love to do both on land and water. So you more than likely find me hunting fish in the water, uh, <laughs> and I'll be catching fish in the fall yeah. for sure. Yeah, there's not a more beautiful time to be on the water with the leaves start turning. Uh, you know, you get that cool, crisp 50 degrees something morning, and you're you're in that 70 something degree afternoon, and you're just whooping up on the fish, folks. <laughs> I'm telling you, you can just whoop up on them, and uh, it's just not a prettier time to be on the water. So uh, once and, again, folks, uh, this is the time to get out there. Don't don't winterize that boat. Get out there and catch some fish. Absolutely, and if they've got questions or in the future or whenever they do, don't forget they can reach me at, at on my cell, 660-723-2667. Barry Morrow, just give me a call. I'll be glad to help you. And uh, maybe someday we'll see you on the water. 
Yeah, and uh, folks, we want to we want to also let everyone know that that Barry's a guide. I mean, uh, he guides on Truman Lake, and uh, he's uh, he's a class act, folks. Uh, I've known Barry for many, many, many years, and uh, uh, he he will definitely put you on fish, uh, and uh, does it with a smile on his face and a giddy up in his step. He knows what he's doing, uh, and he loves to teach people how to catch crappie. What's that phone number again, Barry? Six six zero seven two three two six six seven. Yeah, and once again, folks, that's on Truman Lake. And do you guide on any other lakes around there, Barry? Uh, actually, that's my home lake, and I pretty I stay pretty close to that. I once in a while I'll still get up there to Ufaw, Oklahoma, but uh, usually that's the only when they have tournaments up there. But I still get up there and fish a little bit. Well, if you ever get back up to you follow and uh, have a few days, give me a call. We'll do a video show, man. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll show people you actually catch them. We'll do that. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to wind this thing up. Barry, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking time out of your busy day to, to come on the show today and help these folks out with this uh, fall transition cropping. And, uh, man, you have provided some excellent tips and uh, excellent schooling on this, and I, I know it's going to help people catch fish this fall. Uh, let's throw your phone number out there one more time and tell them where you got. Okay, it's Barry Morrow on Truman Lake. Phone number, contact me, is 660-723-2667. Barry, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, you're definitely uh, a, a top crappie guy, that's for sure. You know what you're talking about. And that's because you spent a whole lifetime chasing these things. So, uh, you know, you, you definitely know what you're doing. Folks, this is Dale York for Just Fish Outdoors and Barry Morrow, the Morrow's Guide Service, saying we'll catch you later.